that there is a gap. This is the underground gap. Remember this? And uh, where we have to traverse it. And I, uh, I'll go, go through this very quickly. We, we mentioned the idea of a bridge. Yeah. So we're over here in our world, and we want to know what does Colossians 2, verse 10, really mean? And I can do all the praying about it I like, and of course we should pray. But the Bible isn't a book just to be approached supernaturally. It's also a book to be approached skillfully. And so, because I don't know what Colossians 2 or Colossians 3 verse 1 means, you know, whatever it may mean, I have to maybe go and find out a little bit about what does it mean in that culture to say, well, I'm afraid I had to do this. Because it doesn't mean afraid. <coughs> or, or what does it mean to say, I need to... We need to get out of here to have our joint. <laughs> what did it mean in that culture? Because I can make it some terrible, terrible mistakes. Otherwise, everyone understand? Yeah. And so that's why, that's why actually there are so many different translations of the Bible. Because if I were to say to you tonight, what's the best version of the Bible? Is the best version of the Bible the one that takes the, let's just take the New Testament, that takes the Greek words and exactly replicates them uh, so that we have the exact, as much as we can, the exact text of Romans that we can get? Or is a better way to do it for the, for the translators to go, well, actually, these phrases here uh, won't make much sense to a British reader. So, for example, let's imagine in the Bible someone says, how are you doing? And the answer is not too bad. What that really means is, I'm fine. Mm. So maybe the best translation of that phrase would be, I'm fine. Mm. Even though the actual text might say, not too bad. Everyone with me? Yeah. 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 And so you say, well, what's the best? Of course, I can tell you the best version of the Bible if you really want to know. Do you want to know? Go on. Yeah, it's the one that you read. Yeah. <laughs> you say amen. 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 Yeah, no, I, well, I've got the best one here. Have you read it? No, but it's definitely the best. Yeah. It's not the best unless you're reading it. So you get different versions where you have like what they call dynamic equivalents. I, I mean, a classic one is whenever Jesus is moved with compassion, in the Greek text, it says something like this. He, and I won't get it exactly right, but something like this. He, 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 he growled in his loins, or something like that. That's what it literally says. He, he was, he was, he, he, he grumbled, or something, in his loins. But that's an expression. Yeah. Like we say, oh, I'm shattered. Which means, tired. It doesn't mean shattered anymore. Right? Yes, it means very tired. So when someone in the Hebraic world growled in their loins, right, it meant they were moved with compassion. Someone could come up to you and say, oh, I've had a terrible week. My, my boyfriend's left me. I'm heartbroken. Now, in many ways, they're not, are they? Yeah. Heartbroken people don't, don't do a lot of chatting, do they? <laughs> right? But it's an expression. But imagine in, in, in another culture where heartbroken didn't mean sad. It meant some physical damage then that would be a bad translation of that expression. That's why you get different versions of the Bible. 
And uh, so some are, and by the way, there's a book in the Bible that no one reads. It's called the preface. Yeah. No one ever reads it. Oh, I'm not going to bother the preface. Preface? I haven't read a preface since uh, 1974, doing English literature. Where I had <laughs> but, but the preface will actually tell you the Bible you've got at home or the Bible in front of you now, the philosophy that the translators had about how to translate that. And whether they went for that literal thing, yeah. which then is hard for you to understand, or whether they went for a dynamic equivalent thing. And it's actually a sliding scale. So you get some Bibles that are very literal, literally translated. So something like, I don't know, the ESV would fit in that category. And then as you slide over, then you get to the more dynamic equivalent. Now you're in the, the territory of the NIV. And then you slide all the way, maybe, maybe the NLT appears here, somewhere around here. So sometimes when I'm trying to read a difficult Old Testament story... I'll actually pick up the NLT because it makes okay. I can make sense of this a bit, a bit, a bit better. All that matters is that I can read it, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it sort, of, then it slides over to I don't know something like the message, where Jesus shows up and says, "Hi, guys." You know. And I introduced two phrases last time, which we'll touch on again before the curtain down. Um, the first phrase was the authorial intention, yeah. author with I-A-L on the end. What does the author want us to understand? Sometimes you can clear up what any passage of the Bible means, or what you think it's most likely meaning, by trying to isolate, what does the author mean here? Mm. What does he mean? Let me just give you a little example. It just comes off the top of my head. What about that curious scene where Jesus, it's in Mark's Gospel, I want to think it's in chapter 10, might be chapter 8, where he prays for somebody twice. Yeah. They're blind and he touches them and then he has to touch them again because everyone looks a bit out of focus, you know. And you have to ask yourself this question. When Mark wrote this down, did he intend the reader to go, oh, Jesus hasn't done it very well first time, <laughs> or Jesus hasn't succeeded, or, or is none of that in Mark's mind at all, which I don't suppose it is, and he's merely reporting to us what occurred. Yeah. So, uh, so I know, therefore, you're having to guess what's in the mind of the author. But it will stop all sorts of funny ideas coming out. In fact, when you look at that story carefully, you find that the first time Jesus touches the man, he touches his eye sockets. And then the second time, he touches his eyes. And whether we're supposed to see something in that, maybe eyes formed, and then like a baby that can't see initially. Then he focuses them. Maybe that's what happened. Mm. But the author probably isn't wanting us to think that Jesus wasn't very good at this and had to do it twice. Right? You, you see what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about working out what do we think the author... So that's the first phrase, the authorial intention. The second phrase we used a lot last time was the theological principles. 
what might this mean for today? Now, before I can know what it means for today, I must know what it meant on the day it was written, which is sort of what we're doing here tonight. This is what all this is about. What did it mean on the day it was written? Theological principles, and I don't know if I read all these out last time. Perhaps I should read these. A theological principle should be timeless and not culturally bound or dependent. So this is what we, this is what we, we want to look at. What does it mean? Not, not what does it say, but what does it mean? I say, well, I'm afraid I've left my bag. What I mean is, uh, I'm sorry, I've left my bag. Uh, someone comes into the bedroom at night and says, oh, it's cold in here. What do they mean? They mean, close the window. Yes? Yeah. But the words close and window are not contained in the sentence, ooh, it's cold in here. <laughs> but they mean something else. Yes, you with me? Yeah. Yes. Now, we're just used to the way we talk like this all the time. <coughs> but uh, it's all about applying this sometimes to our Bible reading. Okay. So number one, the principle should be timeless and not culturally bound or dependent. This is a theological principle. It's not tied to the event in which it's set. Number two, it should correspond to the teaching of the whole of Scripture and be consistent and in keeping with God's character as described in the whole of Scripture. So one peculiar story should not rewrite the character of God for us. You understand? Yeah. One thing we go, oh, that's a bit strange. So one instance, Jesus, uh, where is it, Matthew 15 or 16? Is it 15 where the Syrophoenician woman, oh, master, please, my daughter, and he yeah. doesn't yeah. respond at first. That one story shouldn't rewrite the character of God, uh, mm. right? Um, so a theological principle must, must have some consistency with the way God is being and indeed, people are being described throughout the whole of the Bible. And number three, the principle should be equally applicable to the biblical and contemporary audience. Yeah. So you must be able to preach it, not just anywhere, but in, in any time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit of a side issue, but let me throw this in just for free. Um, I've never preached the gospel, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Never preached. I don't think that's the gospel at all. Now, here's some good news. God has got a wonderful plan for your life. Right. For, for, for most of us here. For all of us here, he's got a wonderful plan for our death. Because we're going to go and be with him. But there's a, there's a big difference between talking about someone having an abundant life and an abundant lifestyle. Yeah. Hmm. It's true. But the apostles, you read it, they, they had an abundant life. Of being put in prison and thrown in the sea and uh, f f f uh, facing wild beasts at Ephesus. Yeah. And now it's just the Sunday school team. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's an abundant life. An abundant lifestyle is being able to get Channel 4 wherever you want. <laughs> Even down here. Right. And so something, something that you 
Let's imagine we were taken in the TARDIS back to um, September the 11th. Yeah. Was it 2001? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I plonk you outside the towers, and science fiction rules apply. You can't change history, Chris. <laughs> so you can't change anything. All you can do is preach. Here's something you wouldn't, as they're going into the towers, you know in one hour <laughs> they'll all be dead. You would not preach, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You would preach that, wouldn't you? Yeah. You would say, Jesus wants to save you. Yeah. It's coming a day of judgment. And so, so whatever the gospel is, it must be the same. So if the gospel uh, to a dying person is not the same as the gospel to, to a, a, a very much a living person, then it's not the gospel. So these things are always the same. You know, have, have a little think about that. It's good. Have a little think about that. Um, all right. Here's a key thought. Let me read this to you. The scripture was God's word to another people in another generation before it became God's word to this people in this generation. So, so what you've got in front of you is God's word to us in this generation. But before it was that, originally it was God's word to another people in another generation. Which takes us back to all that stuff we did last week about who's the author? What's the relationship between the author and these people? What do these words mean? When was this written? Remember we talked about that sick has changed its meaning over the years. Did you know that the word nice originally meant idiot? <laughs> really it did that's what it originally meant a few, a few hundred years ago if you came home and you said how was your doctor oh he was nice you'd say we don't go back there because <laughs> it's changed its meaning yeah so, so 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 words mean what they mean like who imagine let's imagine we went back in, in time three years ago two years ago and I walked around going God, I'm really worried about the backstop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make it up words. Hey, I don't know where the Brexit thing's going, but I bet you there'll be a few more made-up words before we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So language develops. Yeah. And it is all about working out what did this mean originally. So the first thing is, is culture. Remember that story about the the Argentinians, and that culturally they, they didn't understand the expression, well, I'm not too bad. And so as a result, they, they heard exactly what was said, but they, they got the entire wrong meaning about it. Now, let me give you an example of how that can happen in the Bible. And the importance of understanding a little bit. Now, I'll say what I said last week. You won't be able to get all this in your head. Remember we began by talking about we have to be a workman that needeth not be ashamed? And remember the, that ugly swear word at the beginning? Work. <laughs> so the Bible's going to take work in order for us to, you know, get it, get it right? Yeah. So here's a great, here's a great example. I, I just thought of these over the weekend. Anyone recognise this? Yeah. You want to take a stab at which Bible chapter and verse it may be from? John 4. So Jesus is talking to the 
woman crossing the door. Yeah, the woman, the woman at the well. Oh. Yes, the woman at the well. Yeah. Now, a little bit of cultural understanding, miss or or let's put it another way, a misunderstanding of the culture changes this entire story. Yeah. So, go and go go get your husband. No. I have no husband, she replied, cannily. <laughs> Jesus said, no, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have, he's not your husband. What you have said is true. So then you end up with preachers. Now, I've got to be careful because this room's full of preachers. This <laughs> so just remember, this is it. I won't be back next week. <laughs> so we'll go back to normal next week. But you get preaching, oh, this woman, she sought her affection in men. You know, uh, the well is a symbol of her sex drive or something, and she's always wanting a drink. Always wanting a drink. No, but you know, this. No, because no, it's true in the, in the book of Proverbs, water is, yeah. is uh, a symbol of, of, of someone's. Anyway, <laughs> so, Stephen Jenkins will explain this. <laughs> um, so you see, why could you get? She's had five husbands. She's been through all these men, and she she's not found satisfaction. So then you paint her as a bit of a villain, yeah, a loose woman, right? And then you go, well, hang on a minute. In their culture, she would not have been allowed to divorce her husband. So what we're reading is that she has been divorced yeah. five times. Which is an entirely different story. Now, is she a naughty girl? Yes, because the woman she now has. The, sorry, the man she now has is not her husband. <laughs> Never went back. Yeah, that really swung over to me. <laughs> Don't buy that Bible. I'm <laughs> sure it's coming. That's the Passion Translator. Yeah. <laughs> I promise you can come but not talk, Steve. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I wish I thought. <laughs> so anyway, do you get the idea? Yeah. Yes. So now you go, oh, well, the woman can't divorce her husband. He has to divorce her. So now she's a victim of bad marriages. Not a loose woman. Mm. Until we get to the end of the sentence, right? So a little understanding of culture uh, changes the whole story. Mm. Let me give you another one. Uh, yeah, look at this. So, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Jesus speaking again, yes? Yeah. It's Matthew 5 or 6. Yeah. Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, we look at this and go, well, th these things are unlikely to occur. I have been punched, but it was a long time ago. 
I'm not looking forward to it happening again. <laughs> but I was punched in the street. I was. And uh, I'll be taking up an offering for my expenses. <laughs> I was about ten at the time. Um, so there's a whole load of things here. You think, well, no one's ever tried to get my shirt. No one's tried to make me... Well, I mean, my wife has tried to make me walk a mile. But... You know, I would I'd normally have a lie down until <laughs> she gives up. Now, when you read this, it's, it's a bit strange. Now, let's just click back into the culture. Okay, so this is written to a nation that are occupied. So think of Paris under Nazi yeah. German occupation or yeah. something. It's the closest that we have to this room, I guess. So the Romans are on the streets. Israel is occupied. That's why there's an irony when the Pharisees say dumb things like, we have never been slaves to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> they were slaves right then. Yeah. In fact, they'd always been slaves and pretty much to everyone. Yeah. Funnily enough, but that's, that's another matter. So here you have, you have and that's, this, this all happened on the cross Jesus was hit. Jesus' clothes were taken away and he was made to carry his cross, wasn't he? Yeah. So all these things that are being spoken of here... <coughs> now, I don't want to get too complicated because we, we only have two hours, not 18. <laughs> but in fact, these are the things that might happen during persecution. That's sort of what this is. Now, now that doesn't mean that we have... We've got some, oh, okay, the, the verses about revenge are gone. Let's go get them. But this is particularly to do with persecution. Yeah. Because the very things that are happening here, the very things that would happen to people who were taken by the Romans for crucifixion. Right? You see that? Yeah. So all three of those things happened to Jesus. <coughs> so a Roman could at any point stop you and say, I want you to carry my heavy load. Yeah. And he could make you carry it, of course they didn't say mile, but it's very similar to a mile. And Jesus said, well, if that happens, go, go two miles. Now, we're not occupied. But imagine if we were, these texts would be preached in a very different way. Yeah, it's true. Right? All of a sudden, they would mean something quite different. So the theological principles here are not so much, if my husband hits me at home, he can hit me again. No, he can't. Yeah. All right, you understand? Because yeah. that's not what this is about. Can you see how serious that could get? And how seriously mis misunderstood. And by the way, you know, women hit men too, right? Mm. So, so, so this idea that you could be bullied around, and you, no, that's not what this is about. The other thing that's interesting is, if you go back to the um, Old Testament text, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, actually, those texts were designed to limit retribution. So if you lost a tooth, you may, you may gain a tooth, or you may knock out the tooth of your opponent, but you can't knock two teeth out of him, only one. It's an eye for an eye. So it wasn't about revenge. It was about restitution. And, of course, it was never literally an eye and an eye and a tooth and a tooth. 
You owe me 10 quid, I want 10 quid back. That's what that sex is about. Mm. Rather than, oh, well, we're going to, you know, you blow me up and I'll blow you up. So, the, so, so an understanding of, of the culture yeah. is vital, you see. I'll just, just use a couple of examples. But all sorts of bits. I, um, so I've got here geography, housing. I love those bits where it says, and they went up on the roof to pray. Well, I remember when I first read that, I thought, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, Betty. They <laughs> went up on the roof to pray. What are you doing? <laughs> because the roofs are flat. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you imagine a new person reading that? They went up on the roof to pray. <laughs> to be nearer to God. Yeah. It was just a wide open space. Yes? Yeah. Um, so things like coinage and the monetary system, the governmental system that exists in the day. Um, so what have I got here? Social customs, things like the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, these are the kind of little bits of history that eke out in sermons, aren't they? So people sometimes know a little bit about these things. But of course, there are thousands of, of social customs that exist in the framework of the New Testament and the Old. Um, the gospel narratives teach all our neighbours. So in other words, am I supposed to be friends, friends with the Samaritan as well? That's really what that question is about. Historical law, often a factor in the passion narratives, the Jews didn't have the power to impose the death penalty, so they have to use Pilate to their to their end, you know, so you have all that kind of thing going on. <coughs> Roman citizens had special rights. The Bible students should collect as much background data of this of this nature as possible prior to attempting interpretation. Note, I don't know if this is for you or for me. Inaccurate or anecdotal data can be passed on and accepted as authoritative. So here, all sorts of stories told. You know, um, one of my favourites is that the eye of the needle and the camel was yeah. a gate at uh, Jerusalem. Now that's fine, except it was built centuries after Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus can't have been referred to that. But there's a, there's a, there's a really good... That sounds really good, doesn't it? You know, the camel getting through the gate, and I can see it all preached now. All the Sunday school kids come up and play the camel. Everyone's clapping. It's just a little bunkum. Because the gate didn't exist at that time. It came later. So Jesus really is saying the largest animal can't get through the smallest of holes. That's, that's sort of what he's saying. Now, some of these customs we've become familiar with. Yeah. I, I want to remind you that the, the, the people we're trying to reach are not familiar with them. Uh, let me think of one. J John's Gospel. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you've been in church for a few years, the Lamb of God, ah, well, that's a reference to the Passover Lamb or the sacrificial lambs. So look, look how brilliant you are. You, you know that bit. But it's probably a very bad idea to try and evangelize your friend by telling him that Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
because th they don't have a frame of reference for that. Right. You've had to learn that frame of reference, yeah. haven't you? Yes. So I don't know how many times Paul in Acts goes around Greek cities telling people about the Lamb of God. I don't think he does it once. Because it might have been a, a, a misfire of his message. So all this about getting it right. And this thing about animals. Here's a, here's a picture that I know you'll, you'll love. <laughs> I noticed something else this week. And I just wanted to, I thought it would be interesting to mention this. Um, actually, he phoned me earlier. I'm going to meet him in... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to meet him in uh, Craig's. Um, look at him there, sweating away. Um, I remember someone said, she, she, she says to him, why did you go to Epstein's place? Why didn't you just phone him? And here's something very interesting he said. And I sort of clocked it and thought about, uh, and thought about us meeting here. He said... Well, that would be the chicken thing to do. Now, what did he mean? What's the chicken thing? Running scared. A way out, cowardly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we understand that, right? Yeah. So we understand if I call you a chicken. Isn't it funny? Yeah. yeah. I call you a chicken. A chicken. And that means you're coward. Have you? Done any research on chickens to know whether or not they are especially brave? <laughs> when you finish your Christmas meal, someone will say, Oh, I've, I've eaten like a pig. <laughs> so, so we're au okay, aren't we, with language yeah. that means things. Now, again, just sort of hear me now. Think about the Bible then. So in our culture, a chicken... And by the way, I've not heard that phrase for years, actually. That's why, it, that's why it's stuck in my mind. I've not heard that phrase, a chicken, for years. So it's funny that, because I thought of that as like my playground language back in the 70s. So I wonder if we had a group of millennials in here, or a group of zero to tens in here and said, what's a chicken? I don't know whether they would know. Maybe they would. But what I'm saying is, these things change. Jesus calls Herod a fox. Mm. Now, without uh, we won't do this, but but can I just throw this out to you? I bet none of us know what that means. No. No. So, so we read it in the in the New Testament. Oh, tell that fox this. But what did fox mean in the first century? Because we uh, we don't really use that phrase today, do we? Fox, foxy lady. Maybe I'll get off that, but <laughs> but we don't we don't really use that phrase. Certainly, when I hear of Jesus calling Herod a fox, I think, I wonder what he means. It doesn't sound positive, <laughs> right? But that's because we already know the relationship between Jesus and Herod. So we work out a bit about what that means. Just because we know a little bit about their relationship. And this is all part about decoding sometimes what, what words mean. Mm. So, to be able to grasp what everything means there must be some how are we doing there must be some knowledge of the culture in which we are set and if we're studying another culture especially an ancient one 
then a bit of work is going to be required. Let's just do one more before I let you have a little break. Then you've got covenant. So you've got culture. And you've got covenant. So, it's very interesting. Because people fall out over this. God, throughout the Bible, reveals his character and he reveals his covenants. Those are the two things, really. So the whole Bible is a story of God's character. But then contained within that story are, of course, two very separate <coughs> covenants. And the danger is, so a preacher opens the Bible and thinks, wow, well, most of this Bible is the Old Testament. And they start getting, you know, getting a bit stressed because they can't say any other names. <laughs> I've always had a way of dealing with the names. And I'll give you this, I'll give you this little hint. Just say them quickly. <laughs> no one will know. So you've got you've got two covenants. Now what a lot of people do is they take a little bit of the old covenant and a little bit of the new covenant and they come up with a third covenant that God doesn't know anything about. <laughs> but you're wonderfully enjoying it. Right. So, let me give you this. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, pretty much, if God blessed you, you were rich. In the New Covenant, if God blesses you, you'll be poor. I mean, sort of. So, under the, under the Old Covenant... There was this idea that God will bless, you know, Job and Abram, they all, they were all, had their own TV show, The Apprentice, and they all had money. <laughs> they were all wealthy. And, were, and then when you come into the New Testament, Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, so a real shift occurs there. And in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6, where you get uh, his version of the Beatitudes, you get phrases like, blessed are you who are poor. Now, don't tell any prosperity preachers this. I'm getting quite nervous. Oh, it must be a mistake. I'm afraid not. Silver and gold have I? None. Right? So, you know, there's... So, in a definite, so, I'm just giving you one example of a change between the expectations in the covenants. So, we're in the new covenant. Hip, hip. Right. Now you weren't so sure, were you? Particularly financially. <laughs> so in the old covenant, God wants to give land. In the new covenant, He's giving eternal life. You know. Now, of course, the character of God is the same, but the outworking of these covenants are, are different, and especially different in the covenants is the way that people approach God and the way they're going to approach God. So under the old covenant, you had to kill. Animals and you had to do rituals and men had circumcision and all you know all manner of things happen in order to make you pleasing to the Lord. 
uh, under the new covenant, all these things are fulfilled. Even that verse, every, what's it, all of God's promises are yea and amen. In Christ, that sense of huge fulfillment of so much of the Old Testament text fulfilled in the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. But then you're left with this problem. Everyone ready for this? The problem is, the whole Bible is the Word of God. Mm. It's the inspired Word of God, every page. And yet, we've got this, this conflict then, this intellectual and spiritual conflict. Well, what applies today from the Old Covenant and what does not apply? And that's where you have to separate quite a lot of the information under the Old Covenant into maybe three different compartments. Number one, morality. So there's morality in the Old Testament, and that morality is still with us, yes? Yeah. In fact, it's emphasized more, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You've heard it said, don't, get, don't kill anyone. Well, don't even get cross with them. So the morality of the interest is actually magnified. Don't commit adultery, don't even think about it, son. So it so we're in a we're in a greater era of commandment keeping than we were before. Yeah. In a funny kind of way. Yeah. So, so there's, there's no commandments in the New <coughs> Testament. There are hundreds of commandments yeah. in the New Testament. Jesus said, Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So that doesn't sound like a Sunday coffee club with a bit of pop music and a, and a feel-good message. That sounds like you've got to obey things. Right? So you've got the morality of the Old Testament, but then you've also got two other things that are there. You've got the, you've got the rituals of the Old Testament, which are fulfilled in Christ. They were shadows, and now we have the real thing in Christ. And then you also have thrown in, just for good measure... Uh, the civil laws of Israel thrown into books like Leviticus. Um, so let's just look at a couple of these. Um, so that, yeah, this slide basically just says what I... You've got Old Testament moral commandments which are not the same as civil laws, not the same as religious outward ceremony and ritual of Old Testament Judaism. Yeah. So a good Bible exegete has to look at a text. So here's a few from Leviticus, just for fun. And we'll do these and then we'll have our break. Okay. Um, you look at some of these. So somebody be brave and look up Leviticus 11. Someone look up 19. Someone look up 19 again. Someone look up 20. All right, and I'll get you to read them out, all right? So this is the bit where you have to do this. If you read these out, you can have coffee. That's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just stand here and wait until the general election. <laughs> so these, I've chosen these because, of course, there's a level of interest. Leviticus 11, anybody got that? I want to think it's about locusts. Yeah. So someone just read that out, nice. Go. All flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. They are, however, uh, there are, however, some flying insects that walk 
on all fours that you made. Good. That's good, isn't it? So some creepy crawlies you may eat. Hip, hip. <laughs> I mean, deliberately. <laughs> I remember preaching once in Brazil and this thing went in me. And it, I, I think it's still in there. <laughs> Fine pencil. And it, every now and then I turn in the bed. I mean, I go about 15 years. But every now and then I turn in the bed and think, oh yeah, there's, you know, Charlie. He's still there. <laughs> So then, I carry on reading. It gives us a little list of what we may or may not eat. It says, those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. Great. Um, of these, you may eat any kind of locust, um, catadid, whatever that is. Just, um, say, it, just say it quickly. <laughs> catadid. <laughs> cricket. <laughs> cricket or grasshopper, yeah. or all other flying insects that have four legs, you are to regard as unclean. Right. So this is a health and safety requirement. In the Old Testament, isn't it? It's a health and safety requirement. It's part of their civil law. And so, uh, when we get to the New Testament, Paul doesn't go around. In fact, he deliberately forbids this kind of thing to be passed on to the Gentiles. So you get it explicit. So Luke, back to that thing, his authorial intention is that this should not continue. Let's, let's look at another one that we're all guilty of. Leviticus 19.19, and stand by to repent as you read it. <laughs> Who's got that? Right, so we must not have a garment of two kinds of material. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Let's all bow <laughs> You may feel tonight that you are wearing a spiritually illegal jumper. No one's looking around, apart from everyone. <laughs> What's the other one in 19? What's the next one? That last one. 27. Yeah, no, 27. Something about, something about beards. Do not trim off the hair on your temples or trim your beards. Do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. Right, so do not, let's just forget tattoos for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, but I'm not here. <laughs> By the way, those tattoo marks were religious tattoo marks. Yeah. They didn't say mum on them. Yeah. <laughs> no, but come on. Yeah, it's true. I haven't got any tattoos that I'm going to show you. <laughs> I haven't got any. But, but these are religious tattoos. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm not saying this will go out and get a tattoo. I don't think I'm going to get a tattoo. Um, but these, these were, these were religious. It meant that you were connected to some sort of foreign deity. Right, so again, that cultural thing helps, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Beards then, do not cut their hair. The side of your head, dear. Any clean shaven? Few of us. I, I mean, I'll give you this. If you want to write this down, um, it's about men with beards. <coughs> men with beards are like men without beards, 
but with beard. Write <laughs> 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 <Right> that down. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone got 20, 27 spiritualism? A man or a woman who, are, who is a medium or who has familiar spirits. Now, just to bought it, medium here. That, that doesn't mean <laughs> medium. It means they're a medium. <laughs> just get that clear. A man or woman who's a medium should be put to death. <laughs> so say all the fatties, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Four <laughs> medium large, extra large, extra extra large, extra extra large, extra extra large, and jumbo. I'm sorry. Please read it. Oh, sorry. Please read it. Yeah. Anyone who is a medium or spiritist must be what? Shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Right. So why aren't we, why aren't we going around stoning? Why don't we all go down to Blackpool Pier? <laughs> where people are charging you five quid to tell you that you're going to see the mountains. <laughs> now, now, here, I mean, this is actually quite a good text because look, the, what's the theological principle right. that it's wrong? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So here we've got an issue where you can draw from that text something. Yeah. You can draw out of it. It's wrong because that is in keeping with the character and the covenant of God displayed throughout the whole Bible. So people in the Old Testament, New Testament with familiar spirits are not considered positive role models, are they? No. So you've got a theological principle that you can draw, but then you've also got the sense that this is the civil law of Israel. And you must not enact it. I don't know if they ever thought about this, but those of the Muslim faith, yeah, they are uh, a prisoner of a kind of an Old Testament text. And they have a frustration because wherever they go, they feel that they should be putting into practice texts like this. Yeah, but they can't because it's illegal in the land in which they're in. Right? So, well, so, how, so how do we know that the one about stoning mediums doesn't come through? Because... Jesus met demon-possessed people and set them free. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't kill them, did he? No. Well, Paul met a medium and, and set, set her free yeah. from evil spirits. He didn't put her to death. Right? See? So, it's, so there are ways for us to know. It goes back to that, it goes back to that, um, that illustration of the bridge. <coughs> I read a story about mediums Okay, what did that mean? So I go back over and I do some research. How did that work in Old Testament times? What did that really mean? And then I don't, but then because I'm, as I'm going back over the bridge, I have to come through the New Testament. But then it's almost like a security gate that doesn't let me take things through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can't take stoning mediums into my life can't take that into my theology because the New Testament that I'm going through to get back to today doesn't allow me it's like a, it's like a checkpoint yeah. and I can't take that on the plane yeah. with me yeah it's good and so then, then so I have to leave it I have to leave it behind 
And we talked last week about we leave circumcision behind. <laughs> and so when we come through the, here we are with all this stuff from Leviticus, but then when we arrive in the New Testament, we, there are whole books in the New Testament. I'm thinking particularly of uh, Galatians, that absolutely say you shouldn't be doing this stuff now. It's been fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. So, once again, let me finish with this. It's not to suggest that you will have all this in your head, but a little bit of information to help you understand all this is about. Um, many people own a study Bible of some kind. And a study Bible will normally have a little bit at the front of every book. So let's just take Hosea. Mm. So we're going to look at we're going to read Hosea or Hosea. And as we look at Hosea, Hosea, at the beginning of reading Hosea, there'll be a little thing. If it's a study Bible and if it's a credible study Bible, um, that will tell you when Hosea was written, who wrote it, who it was written to, why it was written, what were the issues at stake at the time of writing. Similar to someone turning on Newsnight tonight from the future, but not knowing that there's a general election coming or a Brexit debate. You have to know some of the details to make any sense of the dialogue that's happening, don't you? And so, yeah, we need to <clears throat> rightly divide the word of truth. Some of that takes some work. I'll say, I'll say this in my coffee. Remember what I said last week? Years and years ago, we had an old-fashioned form of downloading. Yeah. Do you remember what it was called? Reading. Reading. <laughs> okay. And on that note, go and have a four-minute break. Four minutes. Four minutes. And counting. Because you know this thing where apparently I can, I can do anything. You know that verse. I can do all things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was a kid I used to watch Spider-Man you know I used to climb up the wall <laughs> I can't do that anymore. I'm a little too heavy <laughs> two years ago I could have given her a shot but <laughs> through you I can do anything I can do all things apart from the garden Sam Desk, who can't find the words yet. But, but other than that, <laughs> it's good, isn't it? <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. Well, let's just stop a minute. Did anyone here really say that? Let's imagine you want to be in New York tonight. <laughs> Can you? Does anyone remember Rent a Ghost? Well, he's... Sorry, Rent a Ghost was banned in the Jenkins house. <laughs> and rightly so. <laughs> I think it was Mr. Claypole. <laughs> um, look, just don't tell it. Look, no one's listening, are they? Especially not you. Listen. <laughs> I can't do anything. Can I? I just can't do anything. Right. Oh, I can do all things. 
But can you? We can. Let's see a demonstration. Mm. <laughs> so clearly, I know I'm having fun, but clearly, I'm just trying to get you to just yeah, un unhook yourself. Yeah. It can't mean that you can do anything, can it? No. So then we're left with this thing, okay, I need to determine two things. Here they come. I need to determine from this verse, what are the theological principles, what are the things that are always true at all times, that are in keeping with the character of God throughout the whole Bible that are just as applicable in the Bible as they are today. Those are the things I need to work out. Okay. From this verse. And the second thing is the authorial intention. We'll assume Paul is, maybe Paul hasn't written it, maybe a, a scribe's writing it, but as Paul is talking it out, it seems likely to me that Philippians and Colossians were written in the same afternoon. And they're both written at the same time. So. What did Paul mean when he said, I can do all things? What did he mean? And using this as a kind of a little example of how we might approach every verse in the Bible. And now we're back to context. Sometimes scholars don't call this context, they call it co-text, i.e. context is actually a bit more like culture. What's the, co what's the context of the culture? Co-text is what does this word, this set of words mean in all the other words in which it is found? But for tonight, context is, is fine. So then we better read it, haven't we? And let's pick it up, of course, in verse 10, just to help us out. Yeah. What does he really mean? Does he mean that he can be Spider-Man at will? Can he fly? Can he make money appear out of the air? What does he mean that he can do all things? Let's give it a go. So, verse 10, everyone with me say aye. 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 Okay. I rejoice, he says. Greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. So we'll apply all these principles we've done the last for the last two hours. Who's the writer? Paul. Who's he writing to? The Philippians. When is he writing? Well, we can't know exactly. But but Paul is dead in 68, 67 AD, so it's before that. But it's after his conversion, so it's somewhere in the 50s or 60s AD. We can know that. Because we know the author. Yeah. We can know the author. <coughs> so he's writing to them and thanking them. When he says, you have renewed your concern for me, it's actually because, as we're going to discover, they've just sent him a fax transfer of cash. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not literally, but... He, he's actually got some money from them yeah. given to him by I think it's Epaphroditus, yes there he is Epaphroditus, so I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last <laughs> Phil I said at last you've paid me <laughs> there's a little bit of comedy here I rejoiced when you finally paid me 
You dogs. <laughs> mean dogs. Yeah. Indeed, you have been concerned for me, he says, but you had no opportunity to show it. It's a bit like a Shakespeare comedy. You have to be told what the joke is, but it's there. So he's being a bit sarcastic with me, really. Yeah. Possibly. And then he says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Because I've learned to be content. Say content. Whatever the circumstances. Say that. Whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content of whatever the circumstances. This doesn't sound like he's going to turn into Spider-Man in any <laughs> verses anywhere near soon, right? I know what it is to be in need. That's what he says. Yeah. And you understand, don't you? That means real need. Yeah. Right. Not the Wi-Fi went down in yeah. the middle of the crown. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is to be in need well to be in need in the first century means no food no clothes no no shelter maybe and, and often because he's being taken into prison isn't he that's another thing I think you miss in in Matthew's gospel you know when Jesus says I was in prison and you visited me Right, remember that? Yeah. And now, don't listen. I'm not saying we shouldn't visit prisoners. So Jane used to visit prisoners all the time. I won't say that's how we met, but she used to visit prisoners. <laughs> 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 There's a legitimate thing, because it's, it's an action and mercy to minister in prison. What a wonderful opportunity. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But probably in the first century, when Jesus said, I was in prison and he visited me, he means I was in prison being persecuted for my faith. Same with those verses in Matthew 5 about if the Roman makes you carry his bag. Well, that's being occupied and being oppressed. Yeah. So, so if Paul says that he is in need, and then he goes on to say, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Are you following this? Yeah. Whether well-fed or hungry. So, you know, really hungry. Not just like me and you all the time, but really hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me what? Oh, strength. Strength. What sort of strength? Well, the strength you would need if you didn't have any food. So Paul says, I've had times where I didn't have anything to eat. I've had times when I've been in real need. I need to carry on serving the Lord. And I've learned that actually just to be content with whatever you have because I've discovered that in Christ I can do I can carry on my missionary work. Yeah. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. I can carry on my missionary work through the strength that Christ gives me. Yeah. So I know I've made that phrase up, but that I think it's helpful. I can carry on 
my missionary work with the strength that Christ gives me. Now that's not going to go down well on Sunday, is it? I can carry on all my missionary work. <laughs> I don't want to be a missionary, actually. Is there another church around here? Join where the needs are a little bit less. <laughs> so when he says he could do all things, he means he could carry on serving the Lord, even though he was having a terrible, terrible time. Yeah, yeah that's good. And a real terrible time. To the point where he was a prisoner, he'd been assaulted. We, we read about that, don't we, in 2 Corinthians? He spends a night and a day hanging onto a plank, and you know, he has a terrible, abundant life. <laughs> yeah. But not an abundant lifestyle. So the new NIV, the new NIV forget, is, is it 2007 <clears throat> it came out, 2008? Anyway, it says this. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Which is actually very helpful. Yeah, it is. I can do all this. All what? Well, all this serving God while having a difficult time. Now, that's a totally different text. Yeah. It's good. To I can do anything I want in, in Jesus' name. Right? Yeah. Now, I understand that when you sing that, you don't really think you can do anything. You don't really think you're Spider-Man or you can magic yourself to suddenly appear in California. I know that you don't really think that. But in context, it's a totally different text. So the theological principle behind that is if you are God's servant and you are struggling, and I don't know, I wouldn't suggest that mental struggling is less than a lack of food, you, think, you know, so we all have our struggles, and there are, and there are Western struggles that are real. Yeah. But you can carry on serving God Amen, yeah. through the strength yeah. that He gives you. Which is not the same as flying to Krypton, is it? <laughs> it's a totally different text. But meanwhile, people have got, and we were joking about this last week, where, you know, people have got all these fridge magnets. Yeah. Yeah. I could do all things. I like that. <laughs> I, I found a couple of them. Here they are. <laughs> so you got that stuck on your fridge. Stuck on your fridge. You can't even resist the cheese. <laughs> and apparently, doing all things through Christ who strengthens you somehow involves. <laughs> being on a rather exotic desert island. That's <laughs> <laughs> where Paul was washed up, isn't it? <laughs> now look, if you really wanted to make a fridge magnet about this, how could you redesign this? Maybe set it in a prison? <laughs> no, but really, yeah. set it in a quarry? Yeah. yeah. Have it raining? No, I'm a celebrity, but not really... Get me in there. <laughs> <laughs> this. And the Decker just over here about to say who's been voted in. <laughs> Let's just carry on reading a minute. Hang on. I feel like carrying on. Yeah. Verse 14. Yet. It was good of you to share in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. He was the only, only the Philippian church gave him an offering for his mission work. Yeah. No one else did it. That's what he says. No one else did it. It was in the newsletters that they had, but in reality they hadn't. <laughs> for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again. They were generous, weren't they? Yeah. So are you beginning to get that this church were getting their money out for him? Yeah. We're just praying for him, that's important. But they were they were paying for him as well as praying for him. Yeah. <coughs> and he said, You did it again and say again and again. Again and again. It wasn't just one emotional song in church. They did it again and again. Now, there's a reason I'm mentioning both. He said, not that I'm looking for a gift, verse 17, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. And then he concludes, I have received full payment. I told you it was about money. I've received full payment. And even more, I'm amply supplied. Hmm. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus, some people think he was the pastor of that church, the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Oh, and, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Yeah. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Oh, so who? Hang on, this verse here. My God's going to supply my needs. I've got that sticker on my car and all. Especially during the MOT season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my God's going to supply all my needs. Is he? See? Let's just let's run the program. What's the theological principle and what's the authorial intention behind that verse? Well, it's, it is about money, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So God does provide our needs in other ways, but in this particular case, if somebody preaches this is about money, they're right, it is about money. But do we notice? That it's not actually a carte blanche, did you know I spoke French? It's, it's not a carte blanche promise that all Christians at all times will have their needs met financially. Because it is written, is it not, to a church who got their money out again and again yes. Yes. for the gospel. Yes. Why is God going to meet all their needs? Because they've met his needs. Yeah. So in order for God to let go of that which was in his hand, they had to let go of that which was in theirs. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah. A girl came to see me once, a girl that some of you know. She was off to Bible college, and Bible colleges do, do two things. They enrich the person's soul and theological knowledge, and they make them broke. 
<laughs> Normally quite expensive. She was off to one in London, which is even worse. Yeah. I told her not to see Les Miserables every night. <laughs> um, so she once said to me, she sat down with me, I was her youth leader, you might remember. Yeah. And she said to me, she said, I'm off to Barber College, Pete. She said, I don't let many people call me Pete, but I let her. She said, God will... God will supply, won't he? And she was waiting for me to go, oh, yes. <laughs> and I went, I don't know. <laughs> so I was thinking, I'm going to find another pastor. <laughs> I said, well, have you, have you given? Because I can't, I can't tell her that God's going to meet all her needs. In verse 19, if she hasn't fulfilled 18, 17, 16, 15, yeah. Now, here's the good news. God's gracious. Yeah, so God's good to us. And sometimes we're blessed and we haven't given. <laughs> yes? Yeah. Hip, hip! Hooray. Yeah. Yeah. I, I nearly said round of applause for God, but we haven't got time. <laughs> so we know, don't we, that God is good. But actually, you've got two verses there that people chunter off all the time. Yeah. It's true. My God will meet all my needs. Yeah, but when you look at the text, you have to go out and work. Don't you? Yeah. The man will not work, he will not eat. Yeah. So, you, so even, even in the Old Testament where it said, oh, God will give you the power to get wealth, what he means is he'll give you the skills and ability to get out of bed in the morning to go and get a job and go and do something and earn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in the New Testament, money doesn't come out of the air by faith, ever. Mm. But yet, even within that, there's this promise of God to the givers into missions that he will look after them. Mm. Because they've looked after him. It's not a promise that Paul writes to any other church in the New Testament. But in this particular case, he does, because they've been generous. Like given, it will be given unto you, pressed down, good measure, shaken together, running over. Or the other verse, I can do all things. Well, no, 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 I can do all this. He's perhaps better. I can carry on with my mission uh, because of the strength Christ has given me, even though I haven't eaten, is what that verse is about. So these are two great verses. I'm going to land the plane and finish. But these are two great verses because. They both are commonly quoted today. They both appear on fridges, bumper <laughs> stickers, and book box. I love it when I find a Christian with a bookmark in the Bible. I can do all things. In fact, they haven't managed to move from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3 in the last six weeks yet. Yeah. But they can do all things. <laughs> so you get so you get all this kind of this fridge magnet theology. Yeah. Just little sayings, but actually isolated away from what they were really about, which is they were written to mission-driven Christians who wanted to support the gospel and, and go and be missionaries. Jesus said, go into all the world and these signs will follow you. Well, we're, we're just all sitting in here. So there won't be all that many signs in here. Until we go out there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all sorts of things that you... You only need signs when people don't know the way. It's true, yeah. yeah. We've arrived. <laughs> but other people don't know the way. 
So you could go through, and we won't, we won't touch on this Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, it's interesting, just that text there. It's a beautiful text, and actually it's full of theological principles. Yeah. That God's got plans for us. Yeah. Um, and, but there's nothing specific mentioned. They're just to prosper us and not to harm us, to do us good. But there's not a lot of that's specific there. This is spoken during the Babylonian exile, of course. Yeah. What's interesting about this text is that just before he says this to them, he tells them, you're not going to get out of here, though. Yeah. You're going to be here, what, what uh, 70 years? 70. So, so start planting crops and settle down and build houses and raise, raise families. Yeah. Because you're not leaving here. But I've got a word of comfort for you. I've, I've got plans for you, and they're to prosper you. Yeah. But the plans that God had for them were not the plans they had for themselves. Mm. So that's the theological principle behind that. Mm. Yeah. It's great, really. Yeah. That's why I never believe God's got a plan for your life, because he's got plans anyway. It's in the plural, isn't it? Mm. It's in the plural. So I want you to think about, I'm going to finish, but I want you to think about some of your favourite parts of the Bible, some of your favourite verses, and just ask yourself this, am I, am I reading what the author really meant? Uh, am I reading something that's appropriate to the covenant in which I currently live? Am I reading through lenses of, of context and cultural context? that are kind of confusing this story in my mind. Um, and if you really do have a favourite book in the Bible, like most of us do, can I encourage you, why don't you go out and buy a commentary on it? Yeah. And read a commentary about it. I told you last week, it, it won't be in the front of the Christian bookshop. No. You know, all those pictures of those gleaming evangelists. God loves you just the way you are. With all that plastic surgery, you know, you know those. Things. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to go deeper into the holy of holies, the back of the shop. Yeah. And um, I, I encourage you to think about those five things. That's as much time as we've really had. What's the author's intention? What are the theological principles I can pull out of this that apply? Yesterday, today, and forever. Um, what issues of culture might there be around this story that I might not be familiar with? What issues of covenant might exist here that will allow me to be lead, lead, lead a very confused Christian life of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's not God's will for you? And finally, in any Bible reading you do, never just take one verse and think about that. Allow the surrounding text to always help you to understand 